Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch, rushing! Deep left field! This is way Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Which players should you avoid this season? Let's find out. Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball Today on Wednesday, March 16th. I am Frank Sample, joined by Scott White and Chris Towers. We've got a ton of busts coming for you on today's podcast and more to address. Jack Flaherty is getting his shoulder evaluated. Eh. Not looking good there. And there's a vaccine mandate for players in New York and much more. We'll get to all of it. But first, let's start with Scott. Who is your top mm. bust this season? Getting right into it, huh? My top bust, as I have said before on this very program, my top bust this year is Ryan Mountcastle of the Baltimore Orioles, who is for some reason, going about 110th overall, he's going ahead of the profit pocket at first base, which includes Joy Votto, Josh Bell, Reese Hoskins, CJ Crone. We love the relative value of all of them. I rank all of them straight up ahead of Mount Castle, and I did even before the changes to the layout of Camden Yards were announced. I don't really understand where the enthusiasm for Mountcastle comes from. Yes, he hit 33 home runs last year. He also batted 255. His OPS was below 800. Right, ba- basically hitting home runs is all he did last year. And because he did it for the Orioles, the RBI and run production was pretty pitiful considering. 89 RBI, 77 runs scored. So it's really just the home runs. He, he, he gave you 30-plus of them. Good for him. There's a lot of players going after him who could do that and more. And so, yeah, even just even just counting on him to repeat last year's stats, it's like, why, why is Ryan Mountcastle going that high? But the other problem is, A, he didn't seem like a great bet to repeat those stats anyway. His ex-slug was a four, only 458 compared to his actual 487 slugging percentage he's he seemed more like a guy who might hit 28 home runs than 33 and b then they made this drastic change to the left field fence in camden yards pushing it back 30 feet for basically the entire stretch of straightaway left field i've never heard of a a change that drastic anywhere before and they also raised the height of the fence from seven feet to 12 it is pretty drastic change in its own right you you add that together, and I think Ryan Mountcastle, who hit two-thirds of his home runs at home last year, by the way, could potentially go from being, instead of a 33-homer guy, instead of a 28-homer guy, something like a 20-homer guy. <laughs> and in, in which case, why are we 
why are we drafting him ahead of like Jesus Aguilar? Much less oh, those four I mentioned in the profit pocket. I, I mean, just it, it just I, I don't get it. I don't get what people see in this guy. I think pa- go ahead, Chris. Uh, Scott. I, I think pa- part of it would be, <clears throat> you know, he was better than that in 2020. Obviously, tiny sample size, 35. Yeah, tiny sample. Um, and he did hit 312 with an 871 OPS at AAA. Uh, so 25 homers, 127 on AAA numbers now. Well, no, I'm just, and he was a prospect of some renown. And right. so you're, I, I you're think there is. Devil's advocate. Yes, yes. Oh, yes, yes. No, I, I. Bell was a great prospect. Yeah, I don't like. Was a great I, don't, prospect. I don't want Ryan Mountcastle on any of my teams. I think Joey Votto is a former MVP. Yeah. Um, but that would be. I think there is still some uh, former prospect. Like I've got him 18th at the position. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm not buying Ryan Mountcastle. I've got the entire profit pocket in front of him. I've got, I mean, even DJ LeMayhew and Brandon Belt in front of him. Um, so yeah, yeah. there's a, uh, and honestly, it wouldn't take much for me to talk myself into any one of Yuli Gurriel, Alex Kirilov, or Anthony Rizzo ahead of him, especially if Rizzo signs with the Yankees and is allowed to play. Yeah. Um, so Kir- Kirilov, I mean, I'd, I'd rather just shoot for the upside than... Well, and he's, so, he's much cheaper. You know, he, he goes off the board 65 rounds later. Or 60, 65 I, picks later. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah, but I mean, just straight up. Yeah. I, I would probably... I would take Kirilov over Mountcastle. It, if he doesn't match last year's home run total, Mountcastle... What else is he doing for you? I mean, you're 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 counting on him improving all around as a hitter, I guess, but he doesn't he doesn't impact the ball enough to suggest he could do that. And the plate discipline is so horrid that and plate discipline wasn't great in the minors either. Look, it's, yeah. it's not like it's he was not always like a he free just, Yeah, yeah, I don't see it. Uh, that's the point that I was going to make, Scott. It is really the plate discipline is what worries mo- me most about Ryan Mountcastle. And, you know, he hit 255 last year, but his 16.2% swinging strike rate was sixth highest among qualified hitters. So what if we start to see that reflected more in the strikeout rate and ultimately that, that drags the batting average down even further and he's not hitting 30-plus home runs anymore? So if he's hitting, yeah. what, 240 with, you know, 22 to 25 homers, it's just like, you know, you can really find that at any point in the draft. So I, I will go as far as to say, I'm with you, Scott. Go ahead, Chris. Boom. Uh, no, I just would like to officially resi- register uh, how much I hate what the Orioles did with Camden Yards in left field. Like, it just, it seems so stupid. Like It just like dislike it with like every fiber of my being. It, it just, I, it's, it's not the outfield wall's fault that you can't develop a pitcher. <laughs> all right. Like th- I hate when teams yeah. do this. I hate when, when teams react to like their organizational failures by trying to change something with their ballpark, especially when it's a fun ballpark. And that's a big part of it is that there's lots of home runs. I don't get it. I hate it. Yeah. And if they had good enough hitters, then they would be taking advantage of the ballpark as well. I mean, when they right, were that, really good just a couple of years ago, you know, they had Machado yeah. and Chris Davis and, you know, these guys mm-hmm. were all mashing home it's runs. Not, it, but And it's not like Coors Field where like you could make an argument that like playing in altitude gen- genuinely gives you a disadvantage when you go on the road. Like there are there are there are reasons to believe that that is the case, that the, the Rockies just play worse when they're not at Coors Field than they otherwise would. This is just like 
it, it affects everyone. Your opponents have to play there too, guys. So yeah. I, I hate it. Anything yeah. with less homers like that. I don't know. Well, that, that offense could be worse than baseball. I, I don't mind Bad. parks tweaking toward neutrality, but this goes so far beyond that. This, yeah. you, you do a park overlay of the new Camden yards with every other park. And it is the deepest left field front fence from like the corn, the, the left field corner to left center, that whole stretch. It's the yeah. deepest left field fence in baseball. And for most of that stretch, it's by far the deepest. Yeah, it, it, it reminds me of um, the old Marlins stadium pro pro player Joe Robbie, et cetera, in yeah. right field. Right. Where yep. it was just incredible. It was like 375 to the power alleys, 380 to the power alleys. It was just impossible to hit for power there for lefties. Mm. All right, Chris, let's get your top bust this season. The uh, the player, you know, these things aren't really the same, but I, I guess this is a player that you are very likely to avoid. Maybe it's not the most likely to avoid, but anyway, your top bust. Uh, Nolan Arenado. And I, actually, a lot of the things that Scott said about Ryan Mountcastle are also applicable to Nolan Arenado. The, the, the key difference being that he doesn't play at Camden Yards, so his home park hasn't gotten worse from last year. It obviously did get worse from 2020 to 2021. And what we saw was a, I don't know, like a one, a real one trick pony kind of player. He hit 255. He scored 81 runs and he stole two bases. So basically what Nolan Arenado did was he hit 35 homers and he drove in 105 runs. And that's, if he does that again, that's great. You know, that, that, that'll play. And if third base is as shallow as we fear it will be, then he'll be fine. But, there, he he kind of feels like he's teetering on a knife's edge for me because if you look at his underlying metrics, quality of contact, expected WOBA, pretty much everything was at least below average and a lot of things were well below average. He doesn't walk. He's a bad base runner. His average exit velocity was 43rd percentile. His hard hit rate was 31st. His barrel rate was 32nd. And that was consistent with the changes that we saw from him in 2020. Now he doesn't strike out and he hits a ton of fly balls in the air to the pull side. And so last season he was able to hit a bunch of 384 foot home runs. And if he does that, I mean, he had, let me look, let me see if I can pull it up real quick, but he had one of the lowest average home run distances in the majors last season. I have that right. Which is wild because I have it right here. 387 feet, 117th out of 130, 132 qualifiers. That is bad. That's bad. And again, he overcomes it by hitting a ton of pull, pull side fly balls. And so a 365 foot home run to the pull side still counts. You get the four bases and the RBI and all that stuff. But it basically seems to me like Nolan Arenado at this point is just. Like if he doesn't hit 30 plus homers, I don't know what he gives you that makes him stand out in any way. Cause if he drops to 28 homers, which would be, I think on the lower end of expectations, but not unreasonable. And that could just be random variance. If he just has a bad luck season, it's not out of the question that he hits 240 and drives in 85 runs and scores 75. And there's a non-zero chance that he's not that much more productive than Ryan Mountcastle. Their numbers actually last season were not that different. It was really just Arnado drove in 13 more runs. That was the, kind the, of the, the biggest, difference. the biggest difference in the numbers was that Mountcastle struck out twice as often. 
often out of it, basically. Right. right. But that's included in all of that. Like that that's Arnado does make a lot of contact, but mm-hmm. it's it's context mostly in is the not air. very good anymore. Well, yeah, it, it was never as good as the numbers suggested it was. And obviously he had a lot of help from Coors Field, but <clears throat> I mean, he's also Nolan Arenado and has a track record of succeeding in spite of those and, and managed to continue succeeding in St. Louis, albeit not to the same extent. It was more, uh, I've called it a, I've called it a, like a Mike Moustakis path to success for Nolan Arenado, where he doesn't strike out much and yet the batting average is still suspect because he puts it in the air so much, but by putting in the air this? so much, he he ends up hitting thirty plus home runs. He had a nine forty nine OPS in May. His second best was eight thirty five in September. Other than that, he had a seven ninety five OPS or lower in every month. He also was just like amazing against also lefties, just, and he was not great yeah. against righties. I mean, a seven seventy eight OPS against righties, you know, that's eh, yeah. not not great. So, look, if there is a way to kind of like get the most value out of the most power hitting value out of a player right now. It is to lean very heavy into this pull fly ball approach where, you know, Nolan Arenado has done it. Alex Bregman has done it in the past. Jose Altuve has done it. Uh, so it can work, Jonathan but India. I think that maybe you could, um, you could be prone to variance year over year. You know, if you well, lose a couple of those home just, runs and yeah, if, if at 30 or 31, he'll turn sometime during the season if the skill set slips any further than this, I mean, this is, we talk about busts a lot in like the context of, I don't like the value. I actually don't hate his value. He's like 59th or 69th overall in, in NFC ADP right now, something like that. I think there's a chance that Nolan Arenado just busts, just the bottom falls out. And we're talking about him like, like a Kyle Seeger last year kind of season. Hmm. All right. Well, Scott, uh, overall, it sounds like you're a little bit more optimistic about Arenado. The ADP is 55.8. He's going ahead of, uh, of some other proven hitters, George Springer, Nick Castellanos, you know, Buxton, you can argue, you know, not as proven, mm-hmm. but obviously has a bunch of upside. Are you willing to take Arenado where he's going right now in drafts? Yeah, I, I have cooled on it some, and and I've been more eager to draft Rafael Devers and Manny Machado in round two, just so I can avoid that. I mean, I, I get what Chris is saying, and, and those were my fears for Arenado leaving Colorado last year. And, you know, the the first year outside of Colorado went about like I expected. So I kind of just and, – and and I I'm sure this is true for any of our bus picks. More likely than not, they're not going to bust. I, I don't know that I'd say that about Ryan Mountcastle myself, but for most of my bus picks, mm-hmm. it is – a percentage chance of disaster, not necessarily a high percentage chance, but a significant yeah. enough percentage chance that they that, that there's a disaster that I, I I would rather avoid them if they're going great. All right, um, and and I, right. and I can I I I don't entirely I see where Chris is coming from with Arenado. I could co-sign to it easier if third base was shortstop, you know, and and I could afford to be that picky. Because it's not, I feel like you get to round six and don't have a third baseman. I'll trust in Nolan Arenado to to continue to find ways to be successful. Can I, can I add one more bust? Only if it's quick. 2022 fantasy baseball MLB bust. Frank's hopes for the Yankees signing Freddie Freeman. 
Why? Did they just signed Anthony Rizzo. Ah, geez. All right, we will react to that when we get to our news and notes segment. My top bust of season, ironically enough, is a New York Yankee, and it is a Roldis Chapman, someone I've talked about already this uh, offseason, and... You know, overall, the ERA was still fine, 3.36. The whip was way up there, 1.31 last year. Still had a ton of strikeouts, had 30 saves last season. Uh, but the ERA, his highest since 2011, that the whip was a career high. He averaged over six walks per nine last season and may have been affected by the sticky stuff. First two months, he had a 0.45 ERA, uh, nearly 40% K-minus walk rate. Final four months, 4.95 ERA, 1.62 whip, 17.6 K per nine. So it, it dropped off tremendously. And among pitchers with at least 20 innings pitched, Chapman had the third biggest drop in K minus walk rate in April and May versus June on. So basically, you know, once they started cracking down on sticky substances, I don't really know what that effect is going to be this upcoming season, but there's enough doubt in my mind based on what I saw watching a role this Chapman last year and enough doubt overall with the relief pitcher slash closer position that, you know, if I'm looking for a closer one, I just don't really want to target someone who is already coming with a bunch of risk. And, and that's basically how I look at a role this Chapman at this point, you know, there comes a point in a draft where I, I would consider taking him, but as of now, I'll take Will Smith. I'll take Henley Jansen, who I believe will be a closer somewhere. Edwin Diaz, I'll take ahead of him. I'm getting closer to moving Jordan Romano ahead of him, too. Like The further we get where the Blue Jays don't make a move, the more faith I have in Jordan Romano, uh, and, and I'm getting close to moving him ahead of Aroldis Chapman as well. Chris, what do you think about Aroldis Chapman? His, you know, his, where he's at at this point, are, are you worried as well? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, like Scott said about Arenado, I think it's more likely that he's fine than that the bottom falls out. But, you know, I, I think the other thing to be concerned about is just that there's been nagging things over the course of the past three or four seasons for Roldis Chapman. You know, he's had nagging knee issues. He's had an elbow issue. So I, I do wonder if he's reaching a point where he might be breaking down. I mean, this is, you know, one thing that, Yankees fans certainly are uh, spoiled with was Mariano Rivera's consistent excellence over the course of, I mean, what, 17 years or whatever, where he was just like basically one of the three best closers in baseball for every single season. That usually doesn't happen. Relievers generally don't peak in that way. They usually have, you know, seven or eight year peaks and then you see... Craig Kimbrell had some of the best rate stats in major league history for a closer up until three years ago. And now we're seeing him start to fall apart. And, you know, I think it's something to keep in mind with Chapman that he's already, you know, kind of an outlier in terms of the length of greatness that they, the Yankees have gotten out of him. And it's possible that we're closer. I mean, it certainly seems likely that we're closer to the last save of a role Chapman's career than the first. It's just a question of, does he have 100 more, 150, 50 more? You know, that's a that's Frank is question. Five more. Mm. I, yeah, look, I am, I'm pretty worried, man. The, the, the walks being up, just complete lack of control last year. And they have some pretty good relievers behind him. Jonathan Loisega, you know, Chad Green has filled in here and there. Chad Green is, he could be a mess at times. Like, just gives up home runs in the worst spots. But Loisega has been really, really good for the team. Uh, Scott, the ADP for Roldis Chapman is 92. I know typically you don't target closers inside the top 100 picks, but let's say that you were. Uh, how worried are you about Roldis Chapman? 
not nearly as worried as you. I, I mean, every closer is just a bad week away from losing his job, I feel like. And uh, Chapman had that bad week last June when the foreign substance ban first kicked in. His ERA ballooned from 178 to 471 over the span of like five appearances. But then over his final 29 appearances, he had a 195 ERA. He struck out 48 in 27 and two-thirds innings. The walks were way too high. But the stuff was still amazing. So, yeah, I, 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 I think I, I think the uh, concern is overblown, and uh, at his cost, he's he's one of the he's one of the few established closers that I might end up taking. All right, uh, we will get to some news and notes. This Anthony Rizzo signing coming in. We'll talk about what it means for the rest of the Yankees. Luke Voigt. I don't know. I don't know. But first, March Madness is here. We want you to compete with us in a bracket challenge game. I'll be in there. Scott will be in there. Chris will be in there as well. And we also want you. Join us at cbssports.com slash FBT brackets. And the winner gets a $100 gift card to Paramount Plus. That's not uh, the. That's not all you get. You can also... Choose which league you want to be a part of in our listener leagues. we got a 12-team points league. We have a 16-team head-to-head categories league. Uh, that is the For the People League. So you win, you get a Paramount Plus gift card, and of course, you get the option to choose there. Uh, with Paramount Plus, you're able to watch the NCAA tournaments on P+. Tons of soccer from the Champions League to CONCACAF, golf majors in the spring, and NFL football in the fall. Also, we're excited for the debut of Halo, which is streaming March 24th exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com slash Halo to try it for free. But back to the brackets. Who enters just one pool? You can also create a group to compete against friends and fill out your own bracket for the chance to win a trip to the 2023 Final Four. It's free to enter. You can play on the CBS Sports app or at CBSSports.com slash FBT brackets. And I will put the link in the podcast and the YouTube description if you would like to find it. If you need help with your brackets, because many people do, I don't really watch college basketball. There's too much going on throughout the course of the year. I can't pay attention. So I will be listening to the Eye on College Basketball podcast. It is your audio guide for the entire NCAA tournament. Over the next few weeks, Gary Parrish and Matt Norlander will take you from Selection Sunday to the net cutting in New Orleans. This week, they'll help you fill out your bracket and then provide recaps after each day of action as the tournament tips off. If you want the best March Madness analysis, Follow and listen to the Eye on College Basketball podcast anywhere you find this one. News and notes. And let's start with this breaking news. Anthony Rizzo is headed back to the New York Yankees. And last year in 49 games with the Yankees, Anthony Rizzo hit 249 with eight home runs and a 768 OPS. Didn't been dealing with some back injuries the past couple of years. Obviously, it's a great ballpark to hit in for left-handed hitters uh, and will likely be in the middle of all this action now. Judge, maybe, Aaron Judge, we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, Josh Donaldson, Darkolo Stanton. Oh, so. We should talk about it now because it seemingly may be relevant for Anthony Rizzo as well. There was a report today that clarified that the New York State uh, private employer vaccine mandate will apply to the Yankees and Mets, assuming that it is still in effect when the season starts on April 7th. That's, From I, that's, what, city. that's a city. <clears throat> that's a city. That's, that's a city thing, yeah. And yeah. it only applies to players who are based out of New York. So players who are not vaccinated but are on other teams will be able to play. But 
we don't know for sure who is or isn't uh, vaccinated, but Aaron Judge gave a very evasive answer today when asked if he was vaccinated. I believe Anthony Rizzo has said he's not um, as because of his um, his history as a cancer survivor. I think he you know got a medical exemption, but I don't know if that would apply for the purposes of this um, or yeah. So either way that between that and the Canadian federal government's uh, bans on people coming into the country without being triple vaccinated. That means that Aaron judge, Anthony Rizzo and any other Yankees currently, if they're not vaccinated are not eligible to play in 57% of the team's games. The, the 81 home games, two games against the Mets at City Field, and nine games in Toronto. So that's huge. We we don't know whether that's going to continue to be in effect all season, whether that's going to even be in effect come opening day. But, I mean, we've seen it in practice with Kyrie Irving for the Brooklyn Nets, who, you know, dropped 60 points today. Yeah. Getting rest is nice. Uh, <laughs> but he has not played a home game. And... Whatever you feel personally about the the merits of that policy are irrelevant because that's the policy. And unless Eric Adams, the, the New York City mayor, opts to change it, uh, it's this is the reality that unvaccinated players are facing. And now they still have time to which, get which, which could happen. I mean, th- there's been a mayoral change since the policy was yes. put, put into place. And, and so, although someone asked him the other day, uh, someone kind of heckled him and told him, you know, hey, let Kyrie play. And Eric Adams responded, yeah, Kyrie Irving can play tomorrow. Get vaccinated. That's the mm-hmm. quote from him. So, yeah, it doesn't sound like the change is imminent if it's coming. And and if not, I, I'd be inclined to say they'll get it worked out because the stakes are too high. If not for the Kyrie Irving precedent. We, we've yep. already seen, no, they're not willing to make exception, exceptions. A city hall official said exactly that in the New York Daily News report about this. Um, so maybe not everyone will dig their heels in the same way Irving has, but maybe a lot of them will. In fact, I kind of wonder if the more of them there are who are willing to that actually causes them to like unite in solidarity and and say, okay, let's see you field the lineup at home without us kind of thing. There, there have been reports that the Mets at times, you know, they, the, the MLB had the requirement that 85% of tier one personnel had to be vaccinated last season. What that meant was on field personnel, but also coaches, trainers, people who were in direct contact with the team regularly. And so, the Mets and Yankees both hit that 85% mark, but there was a report today, I think from John Heyman, that the Mets hovered between 55 and 60% vaccination rate for their yeah. actual roster last yeah. season. Now, and, and, and he said the Yankees would lose a chunk of their lineup too. So ch- I think, yeah, it was like a chunk of the heart of their lineup, but only yeah. like three players total. So if we know Judge, you can start to make some inferences based on the rest, but we don't know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I gotta, I gotta admit, it it made me think twice about taking any Yankees or Mets. I'm not sure practically what that looks like. Ju- okay, so obviously we have Judge identified as as a likely candidate. Does that mean I let him slip beyond round four? I dropped him out of my first two 
two rounds. I was bullish on him in my yeah. ranking, but I, I did drop him down to about thirteen. I believe thirteen at outfield and like twenty nine overall. Um, so it, yeah, it, I, at I least think you kind of have to. At least as things stand now, I I don't. If I'm drafting right now, I do, I don't think I react that extreme to it because we have time to find out mm-hmm. more. You know, we have time to find out if certain players are just going to absolutely refuse to do it and if others will relent and, and we'll probably be able to put specific names to it in time. Uh, there's also Randy Levine, the Yankees president, apparently has mm-hmm. a lot of political influence in New York and is, is said to be on the case. Um <laughs> Political influence is political influence. This is a political matter. So, what I will say is, I, from what I know about the the mayor of New York, Kevin Durant's tactic of calling him out personally and saying he's doing it for attention mm-hmm. probably will not work. Eric Adams does not like to be called out in the press, from what I understand. That is, yeah, that is I, a I, bad strategy. I imagine that's not how Randy Levine is going about it, but I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. There, there, there are a number of ways this could be resolved, and there's still time for it to be resolved. So I'm, I'm not panicking yet, but it's definitely something to it's, pay close attention to. In the it's a risk ahead. factor. Yeah, it, it, nothing more. It, it's not. You can't draft Aaron Judge. Like I moved him down a little bit, but it, I don't think I'm panicking. It's just it's a it's a risk factor that you have to take into account. So that's that's how I'm treating it. I appreciate how much research you did on this, Scott. I mean, <laughs> you're you're throwing out Randy Levine's name with political influence. I, I appreciate it. It's, I just read an article from the New York Daily News. He's, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, my research. he's working the the Tammany Hall political machine as we speak. Uh, yeah. Uh, all right. Let's get back to Anthony Rizzo, though. That was how all of this started. Signs with the New York Yankees. Uh, Scott, what do you think about this move? He's dealt with some back injuries the past couple of years. He's not the player that he once was, but it's a good ballpark. It's a good lineup. Obviously, it's very good for for left-handed power if he still has that. Yeah. Well, he's been pretty in pretty steep decline the past few years and I I had high hopes remember at the trade deadline last year that this move to Yankee Stadium with the short porch you look at expected home runs by park and spray charts and everything and you say oh this this could be what rejuvenates Rizzo and it didn't it didn't it was only a couple months so maybe there's still a, a chance it could happen over a larger sample but given the longer track record at this point I, uh, you know, I, I, I obviously I would have rather them just gone with Luke Voigt there. Chris, would you rather have Anthony Rizzo or Ryan Mountcastle, who we spoke about earlier? Yeah, I mean, we're only talking about 23 games for Rizzo is worth is the context worth putting in there. Plus, whatever he played in the playoffs. I don't know what the exact number is, but that's what it was in the regular season. I think I would rather have Rizzo if we get the answers that we need between now and opening day. As of what we know now with regards to uh, you know, his assumed vaccination status and the current system and all that stuff, I think you could probably make a case for Ryan Mountcastle over him. But if Anthony Rizzo is cleared to play home games, I do think that while it didn't work out for him last year, I do think playing at Yankee Stadium should be a boon for him. And I would expect to um, to see his best production in, from uh from the last couple of years here. 
All right, let's. Uh, we got a couple other news items, so let's run through these. Jack Flaherty did not participate in Tuesday's team workout after he was sent for a medical evaluation of his right shoulder. This is awful news because he dealt with. Uh, well, it's awful news for any pitcher, obviously, but he dealt with a shoulder issues last season. Jack Flaherty did. Yeah. He's currently the 19th starting pitcher off the board. 63.6 is the ADP. We're still learning more about this situation, Scott. But I, let's say someone is drafting tomorrow. What do you do with Jack Flaherty? Are you dropping him down your ranks? He's radio, he's radioactive, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I, I guess there is a, a chance it could be a situation where he drops so far that it's like, why not take a shot at the upside? But I, I was already kind of treating him as somebody I draft around. Just when it, he comes up in my rankings, I just skip over him. <laughs> um, and I think even more so now because of his history with the shoulder and, and the fact that it before he even throws a pitch, it's already bothering him again. Yeah, so my knee-jerk reaction, Chris, was I lowered Jack Flaherty to SP41. That doesn't quite sound radioactive, so I probably need to move him down further. That's just behind uh, Framber Valdez, Nathan Avaldi, Tyler Malley. Uh, and I put out a poll earlier, and I basically asked where should he be ranked? SP21 to 30, 31 to 40, 41 to 50, or outside the top 50 starting pitchers? That led the vote, 37% outside the top 50 starting pitchers. So uh, are you in agreement that we just kind of stay away from Jack Flaherty for now? Yeah, because I, I also ha- I have him at 49, so technically not outside of the top 50, but right in front of Zach Gallen, who is another guy who I just don't have much interest in. I didn't have much interest in Jack Flaherty before the injury just because I'm not convinced that Jack Flaherty is very good when he's healthy, and now I don't think he's healthy or at least he's not currently healthy. And this is, you know, one of the things that we were talking about before players reported to camp with, with someone like Jacob deGrom, where there were like a, a series of questions we had to answer. And it was, first, is he currently healthy? And then, can he make it through spring training healthy and looking like himself? And so far, Flaherty has failed the first of those questions. And then you have just, okay, let's say everything goes great for, you know, the next week and he ramps back up and he's in the second turn of the rotation. How can you feel confident in him, in his performance or his ability to stay healthy? Now that now that we're talking about a three-month layoff or five-month layoff, whatever it is, and then a re-injury or a recurrence of the issue um, in his ramp-up to the season. So, no, I generally think with starting pitchers, when you're talking about an injury at the start of spring training, you're probably – it can be – sometimes you can overreact but you're probably better off just fading until it reaches a point where it's just so obviously a value that it's worth the risk for Jack Flaherty. I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's inside of the top 150. I'll, I'll go back the other way a little. Cause you guys are aiming lower than I would have. I, I would absolutely take if, if Flaherty lasts beyond pitcher 50, I'm going to scoop him up as, as quick as you can say, Jack. But I, 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 I think I was I, I had him twenty fifth already. Yeah. So I had him lower, right. I think, than, than you guys. I would take him ahead of Clayton Kershaw still, I think. And Clayton Kershaw's the thirty mm. eighth pitcher drafted on average. So somewhere in I that thirty five to forty range is probably where I'll rank Jack Flaherty. I think I feel more confident in Clayton Kershaw being good if he's healthy than Clint, than Jack Flaherty. 
All right, we'll see what happens with Jack Flaherty. We had a big extension on Tuesday. Matt Olson signed an eight-year, $168 million extension with the Atlanta Braves. So if you have him in Dynasty, the hope is he performs well this year and, and hopefully uh, for, for the next seven years after that. So uh, Matt Olson staying with the Braves for the foreseeable future. Speaking of those Just Braves. The, the yep. weird thing is the park should be better. Truist Park, I've called it SunTrust Park. I forgot that it changed at some point. Um I tend to do that. I don't update what ballparks are called. They've got that, you know, relatively short porch in right field. You, it, O.co is a bad place for left-handed power hitters, especially. Most of the most of the expected home runs and, and park factor stuff doesn't really indicate that it's like a gigantic win for him. It's It's been surprising to dig into that data, but yeah, I don't know. He's good. It doesn't really matter either I, I don't. I, I don't know how reliable any of the X home run stuff is, expected home run stuff is by park. You know, I cite it from time to time too to help bolster arguments, but I, I just Only think there, there, are, there are so many environmental factors at play that I don't I don't think it's And in theory, know. if Matt Olson hits the ball like he did last season, it probably shouldn't matter where. Like if he's right. if he's got a sixteen percent well, strikeout rate and yeah, if, if, it didn't if last all year. That, his home splits were exactly the same as his yeah. road splits. So if all so, of that is true, if he hits as well as he did last season, it, it shouldn't matter. Yeah. yeah, he's I'm not yeah. if he does that again, it's we're it's thirty five plus home runs regardless. So Yeah. Yeah. I, I, the big the key for Matt Olson is is keeping the strikeout rate down and staying healthy. I think more than any park shift or anything like that. And uh, if he that, does those things, he's exactly as good as Freddie Freeman. <laughs> Oh geez, come on, come on! It's still too soon. Let's not tick off Scott. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, I could go off on a rant right now. If you, you can, you can, you can find it already on Twitter.com. But um, yeah, yeah. So you know, you're not you're you're not willing to go six six years on Freeman, <laughs> but you have been to the face of your organization for a decade, who's been the most consistent hitter in baseball, probably. During that time, certainly in the last half decade, you're not willing to go six for him, but you'll go eight for this guy you just traded for coming off a career year who hit 190 when Freddie Freeman was winning NL MVP. I don't know. I don't, but, I don't know. I don't know how logically, before even factoring in the heart factor, the obvious heart factor that's worth considering when it's a player of that stature, a player who's been around that long and puts on that good of a face for the team before you even factor that in. I don't, I don't know how just from a baseball perspective, that move makes sense. Trading half your top prospects to sign a guy, make a longer term commitment to him than the guy you already know and love and who has never seen his production slip. But you have to keep in mind the 110 innings they're going to get from Colin McHugh. <laughs> a key part of the fact of the factoring. It is irrelevant to what either of those first basemen signed for. To be clear, I am just as upset about the Braves doing all this as Scott is, and I'm not even a Braves fan. It just the principle of it. Look, I, I would rather them have Matt Olson for eight years than two. I'd rather them give up those prospects for a guy for eight years than two. But to say you can't go six years on Freeman and then to, this, to, it, 
bring in his replacement and the next day give him an eight-year deal. That's just that's just offensive. I'm sorry. Cold-blooded. Yeah, it's it's not right. It's uh, it's not right. Anyway, Colin, Colin McHugh. It, it's worth mentioning. He did sign a two-year deal worth $10 million with the Atlanta Braves that included a club option on the third year. He was very good last year. 1.55 ERA, 0.94 whip, 74 strikeouts over 64 innings pitched. And uh, Scott, I assume he'll be used as a reliever, right? Colin McHugh? Yes. Yes, they have, they have said so. All right. Uh, he joins Paul Sewald and Devin Williams in the relievers with strong ratios and strikeouts category for me. So if you're looking for that later on in your head-to-head categories draft, uh, look for Colin McHugh. Uh, We didn't talk about this the other day, but I think it's worth mentioning. The MLB has changed the injured list from 10 days back to 15 days. And I haven't really sat down to like think about how this might affect fantasy baseball. But uh, Chris, do you have anything off the top of your head, like how this might change anything going from 10 back to 15? It, it's so, pitchers, by the way, to yeah. position players still have a 10 day IL. Gotcha. Yeah. And so I think this works in conjunction with the change uh, to the CBA where players can only be optioned five times in a given season. Cause what you would see a lot is guys shuttled back and forth from the minors, you know, seven or eight times in the course of a season. And, you know, whenever someone goes on the IL, which when you have a 10 day IL, there's a lot of teams, as we all know, who, if you've just got like a minor thing that you would miss four days for, if you're not the most important player on the team, teams just throw you on the IL so they can use another roster spot. So I think that's what this is aiming to get away from, to get away from kind of the, you know, I don't want to say phantom IL designations, but the, I think kind of the obvious chicanery that a lot of teams like the Rays were doing with their, rosters to try to fudge service time or whatever the the thought process was. So I, I think that's what this is all about is just trying to make sure that the IL is used for injuries. So mm-hmm. that that would be my thought. But you know it hey every injury that happens now that requires an IL stint, the the immediate impact of this is that it will there'll be a five day longer absence, at least. At least fifty percent longer. All right, let's. Uh, I'm gonna breeze through the rest of this stuff. If there's anything that I say that you guys want to talk about, just like virtually karate chop me or something, and and just jump in. The, the bust podcast is going off the rails, Frank. Yeah, I know. I'm, look, anytime we get a signing midway through, it just like throws everything off. Stop doing this. Anyway, Luis Severino threw two innings of live batting practice Tuesday and is probably the quote most ready pitcher for the Yankees. Carlos Carrasco said he feels fully healthy and in good shape after undergoing surgery in October to remove a bone fragment in his right elbow. Apparently, he reached 92 miles per hour with the fastball on Tuesday, and he said he usually sits 86 to 88 miles per hour this time of year. So, good news. There <laughs> yeah, I guess Carrasco. I just want to keep an eye on what Carlos Carrasco does in spring training because. I don't know, man. It seems like he just like hates spring training more than any other player in baseball. It, it, like every time he talks about it, it sounds like it just like takes him forever to get ready. And he always sound, like sounds like he's injured while he's getting ready. And so the fact that he's, you know, his fastball velocity is higher than normal. That seems like a good sign. Yep. Uh, Mike Clevenger plans to be ready for opening day. Good news there. Lane Thomas may not lead off for the Washington Nationals. Davey Martinez hinted at Cesar Hernandez in that role, so 
not great for my guy Lane Thomas. Some defensive <clears throat> position notes from Buck Showalter. Jeff McNeil will be the primary second baseman for the Mets. Robinson Cano will also get some time there. J.D. Davis will work mostly at third with some reps at first and left field. Uh, Dom Smith will also see some time at first and in left, but realistically, I, I don't know how those other two guys are going to play the way that everything else is set up right now. Uh, Zach Wheeler has been diagnosed with the flu and will not throw his bullpen on Thursday, which I found a bit curious. Going to follow that. James Caprillion dealing with an eight with AC joint irritation and is expected to be a couple of weeks behind like many other starting pitchers at this point. Yeah. Yes. There was one that you didn't have, but uh, Adbert Alzale, I think we, you mentioned him as a sleeper, uh, maybe a week or two ago. I don't know if it was in the sleepers podcast, but he, um, he has a lat strain and he's going to be out, I think two months. So, uh, take him off the, uh, late round sleeper list. Bad news for my guy, Adbert Alzali. Let's take a quick break. When we return, we'll get to more busts here on fantasy baseball today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American express business gold card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Let's jump back in and talk about some players that we are avoiding. At the start, we had uh, Nolan Arenado, Ryan Mountcastle, and Aroldis Chapman. And Scott, we're going back to you. All right. I wasn't expecting that. Okay. Marcus Simeon. Marcus Simeon, who I think is kind of a bust pick for all of us. It's just a lot, a lot stacked against him. Even, even if he had stayed in Toronto, it seemed like a long shot. He'd be able to repeat last year's numbers. He was one of the biggest overachievers by the stat cast data. Expect a batting average 245. Expected slug 455. Those are well below his actual batting average and slug. So just from that standpoint alone, you could say, okay, I'm a little wary of drafting Marcus Simeon. But then he goes from the Blue Jays, the third best offense in baseball last year, to the Rangers, the third worst offense in baseball last year. Granted, the Rangers will probably be a little bit better than that this year, but I don't think a lot better. Um, So he's going to lose, I think, a combined... 30 to 40 runs in RBI on on just that move alone before you factor in any changes in 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 production his own production you know also going from a great place to hit to at least with 2 years of data so far a not so great place to hit in a division with the highest percentage of pitchers parks the AL West i uh i i think there are a lot of ways a lot of ways where you could see incremental decline from Marcus Simeon, and it may end up being a pretty significant decline, especially when you factor in 
that right in between the 2019 and 2021 seasons, the two, the, the only two seasons where he was awesome, by the way, you get this 2020 season that looks much like the rest of his career with a sub 700 OPS. So yeah, just, just a lot, a lot to wonder about for a guy who tends to go in round three on average. Having said that, I'll take him anytime he lasts till round five. Yep, which happened in our most recent mock draft. He went 53rd overall on Monday night. His ADP in February was 39.3. In March, it's actually up uh, a tad to 37.6. I worry about the power for Marcus Semien. I wonder if maybe he can run a little bit more. The Texas Rangers are uh, have been one of the most aggressive teams under Chris Woodward. He took over in 2019. Uh, but... Overall, I do agree with you, Scott. Third, even you know, fourth round, probably not looking at Marcus Simeon. Chris, give us another bust. I, I do want to say I've kind of come around on Marcus Simeon. Um, not so much like as a second rounder where he was sometimes going early, but you know, late third, early fourth, I think it's fine. Um, my bust pick is someone that I'm just not going to draft at all this season. And that's Randy Rosarena. Like even if he does fall, I just. I think there are so many red flags in his profile as a player. Um, and I think he's definitely a bust for Scott. I don't know about yep. Frank. Um, nope. Not but, probably after Mountcastle, Rosa Reina is my biggest bust pick. And this is one that I think is truly a bust pick, not just a, I don't like his value. I, this is one that I think Randy Rosa Reina could have a Kevin Biggio in 2021 kind of season where he's just completely irrelevant for fantasy. And now, Look, he is a good athlete, but you know, you, you look at him the the way we often talk about Randy Rosarena. I think we talk about him like he's like a Byron Buxton type of athlete, but he's you know ninetieth percentile in sprint speed, which is very good. That's an A, not an A minus. So I don't know if he's necessarily like this incredible athlete. He hits the ball hard, but not so hard, so consistently that you would think that he's going to be this outlier in terms of outperforming his expected stats. And that's exactly what he was last season. He had an expected Woba of 304, which is well below average. Uh, 316 is major league average. He had a 350 actual Woba, uh, 28% strikeout rate, expected batting average 222, expected slugging percentage 369. Um, yeah, that's bottom of the barrel. That that That's reminiscent of Kevin Biggio right there, how, yeah. how awful and, you know, those expected stats are. He does hit the ball harder than Kevin Biggio. You know, 64th percentile on average exit velocity, 59th percentile on hard hit, 86th percentile on max exit Like There is pop here, but his approach at the plate is not good. Um, the, the way that he puts his tools into play is not good. Um, and so I just, I think there are, there's real potential for Randy Rosarena to just bottom out. And, you know, one thing that really stands out, especially he hit, he had a 370 expected Woba, 418 actual Woba against fastballs last season, 323 batting average, 15 home runs against all other pitches. He had a sub two, a sub two eighty woba and a sub two fifty expected woba. Those are putrid numbers. Those are like you don't get to play in the majors numbers. Now, look, you can't just throw a guy sixty percent breaking balls and changeups. That's not how it works. Most pitchers don't have those kind of pitches that they can throw with that kind of reliability. But it just does highlight the limitations in a Rosarena skill set, and I think the fact that he's a 
27 year old who, you know, really just has the one stretch at the end of 2020 as like this standout really throughout his professional career. I think there was one other stretch in AAA where he looked really good, but otherwise he just like, he looks like a guy who seems like he should be better than he is. And, um, I don't think we're going to get the, the out, the, the positive outcomes that we got this season. I don't want to downplay how good he was last year. I mean, he was pretty good. He was one of 10 hitters who went yes. 2020. So yeah, he was the 50th overall player in Roto. With that being said, I've taken a little bit of a step back on a Rosarini. You guys have you know talked me into this and the plate discipline, the fact that he hits as many ground balls as he does, the, uh, the quality of contact, not great against right-handed pitching last year, struggles against off-speed pitches. Like there, there is a lot going on there. So I have backed off a little bit, uh, not as much as you guys, but uh, you, I know Scott has him as SP uh, outfielder 25 and Chris has him down at 28. I've got him up and at 20. So the, the other thing I didn't mention, but I would like to mention is then there's just the, the raise of it all where yeah. this is a team that if he goes through a bad two and a half months to start the season, they might just not play him every day. They, they, yep. they have no qualms about that if they think it's going to make them better. So, yeah, I just, I think there's some risk here for sure. I think there's significant risk. All right, Scotty, uh, another bust for you, sir. Speaking of significant risks, speaking of true bottom out potential, I'm going to go with Jazz Chisholm here, who uh, I, I was pretty confident would struggle once he reached the majors, just looking at his minor league profile, a lot of strikeouts, just great tools, but they're all just kind of out of control. And so it was surprising he had the first month that he did hitting 311 with a 969 OPS. Uh, maybe maybe I was wrong about old Jazzy Boy, huh? Well, over the final five months, he hit 236 with a 681 OPS. So it's really just that first month that got his overall numbers to a point where people can feel optimistic about him. Oh, look, there's some power here. There's some speed here. I know I need, a, I know I need speed. I know it's hard to find. But th- that is not a useful player, the one we saw over the final five months. And as much as he strikes out, I think there's a good chance. I, I, I think among the top 100 players drafted on average, Jazz Chisholm might be the most likely who is just straight up dropped in fantasy leagues come mid-May, you know, six weeks into the season because the numbers are looking so bad. So definitely not worth the price tag as far as I'm concerned. The ADP for Jazz Chisholm is 88.2. I will mention he was dealing with some injuries and a COVID situation over those final five months, but overall he was still bad. I mean, you know, it doesn't completely defend how bad he was. Uh, He is one of these freak athletes like Max EV, sprint speed is there. He shows flashes, but he is still um, an incomplete player. All you have to look at is the third deck home run he hit off Jacob deGrom yeah. last season yeah. on a like and a, a letters high 100 mile an hour fastball that he hit 405 feet or whatever it was like yeah. there are not a lot of guys in baseball who can do that and so when you combine that with legitimate 30 stolen base potential it's easy to see why people talk themselves into jazz and and if yeah. you're chasing upside in a market where sk- speed is so scarce I absolutely get it, but it's not going to be me. Right. And I will, I will root for him incredibly hard. He is one of the most fun players in baseball, but 
not on my fantasy team. Yeah. No, that's that's fair. I mean, the reason he was rated as a top prospect is you look at the upside and okay. But it's just the percentage chance of him meeting that upside. What is it? Is it 20%, 25%? And yeah. what does he look like if he doesn't meet that upside? Like I said, probably droppable. Except in except in deeper rotisserie leagues where you just you you have him as a steel specialist. Yep, and he does take quite a bit in points leagues. Uh, takes quite a hit in points leagues, so keep that in mind as well. The the plate discipline is is quite bad there. Chris, you are up another bust. Yeah, another guy that I just I'm not going to be drafting any of this season is Jared Walsh. Um, I'm kind of like Scott is with Ryan Mountcastle. I'm kind of at a loss as to why I'm kind of I'm kind of like that with Jared Walsh too. <laughs> is going as high as he is like you I, I've, I've been writing these ADP review position by position pieces and Ryan Mountcastle DJ LeMayhew Jared Walsh and Jake Cronenworth are kind of in a tier of their own between Jose Abreu and then the what we've dubbed the profit pocket of CJ Cron, Josh Bell Reese Hoskins and um, I don't get it at all those guys should be the Walsh and Mountcastle should be going behind those guys yes he had 29 home runs last year yes he had a 98 RBI and even the 277 batting average was pretty good Um, he can't hit lefties so you start there he hit 170 against them he did have 10 home runs but 54 strikeouts 9 walks and 192 plate appearances I think you can look at the 10 home runs and say even if he might have some pop against them he can't hit them well enough um and so there's a lot of pressure on him to be really, really good against righties. And I think he should be good, but he's another one where the underlying numbers just don't back up what he did. And so, I don't know, man, like 26% walk uh, strikeout rate, 327 expected WOBA, 257 expected batting average, 436 expected slug. He has pop. You know, the max exavilo 94th percentile, 115 miles an hour. That's good. I don't know if he does anything else well enough consistently enough for it to matter. Yeah, he might just be a part-time player. I don't I don't see the point in taking him at any kind of premium relative to to say one name Reese Hoskins, who I think is probably a better bet for uh home runs at the very least. And he has more of a track record too of, yes. of doing that compared to Jared Walsh. I, I hate the ground balls for Walsh too, and the mm-hmm. struggles against lefties, which you mentioned. Mentioned in the second half, he he fell off too. I mean, the slugging percentage yeah. four thirty seven. His hard hit rate was below thirty percent in the second half. So, uh, Chris, and actually, I am with you. I am out on Jared was, Walsh. He was kind of like it was really like a good month stretch. I think between like the middle of May and the middle of June for the most part, outside of that, there wasn't a lot there. I remember there was a stretch where he was really struggling and I was on record saying, drop him, drop him. And then I think he hit a grand slam. He had a good September September for what it's worth. But yeah, I just, he seems like a jag at first base. All right, Scott, you have given us Marcus Semien. You've given us Ryan Mountcastle, Jazz Chisholm. Who else you got? Well, this is a topical player here, Jesse Winker. I am to the point of considering him a bust. Now, I'll point out, I added him to bust 2.0 even before the trade to the Mariners. Same. While he was still a red. I, oh, okay. Yeah, Jesse Winker, bust. Um, and here's, here's the case for it. I think he's a good hitter. I think he's a really good hitter. I think he'll hit for average. I think he'll deliver an even better on-base percentage. 
he is so bad against left-handed pitchers, mm-hmm. like horrendous against left-handed pitchers. His numbers last year, 176 batting average, 572. In a career season, that's what he did against left-handed pitchers. I was skeptical considering he's 28 years old already. There's there's no there's no developmental reason to keep him in the lineup against left-handed pitchers. Mm-hmm. I was skeptical the Reds were going to do it. But it, it was kind of hard to make the case because, you know, they're they're looking like a bottom feeder and, and who else are they going to play there? Why wouldn't they just keep him in the lineup? But now that he's with the Mariners, it's a much easier case to make. And, of course, now that he's with the Mariners, you'll wonder what that power output's going to look like because for his career, his OPS in Cincinnati, one of the most favorable part for, hit, for home runs, was uh, career OPS 100 points higher there than anywhere else. And, of course, Seattle's on the opposite end of the spectrum. So, you know, not just for home runs, I'll point out. This is something that um, I think Rudy Gamble was talking about on or at, at Rasball, I think, was talking about this um, that uh, Safeco, which is not what it's called anymore, T Mobile Park, um, is one of the worst parks in baseball for left handed batting average as well, in addition to left handed Babbitt, I guess, in addition to home runs. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a yep. pretty clear park downgrade. He's a good line drive hitter, one of the best line drive hitters, which is why I say he'll probably hit. I, I feel pretty good about him being a good contributor in batting average. But he's to hit, he's so bad against lefties that to hit 305 like he did last year, he had to hit 346 against right handers, which is just hard to predict anybody doing mm-hmm. year after year, you know, having a split that good. So in between. The playing time concerns just because of the splits. The playing time concerns because of health, because you know he's had trouble staying on the field too. Um, the twenty twenty is the only season he hasn't gone on the IL in his major league career. Yeah, and that was obviously the sixty game season. Yeah. Um, the the how how well he has to hit right-handers to compensate for hitting left-handers and the unlikelihood of him doing that and then of course the big the steep park downgrade i think uh, i think winker's going to Jesse winker's going to disappoint a lot of folks i, I think like i could see him having a season very similar to what like aj pollock did last season which like aj pollock was great last season but the counting stats just weren't there i think that's going to be similar for for Jesse Winker, where you look at the triple slash line, I think that's part of what people are doing, where they're seeing like 305, 394, 556. Holy crap, this guy's an amazing hitter. But it's like, well, the Reds hit him from some of the tougher left-handed starters, and he did that in a good park and dealt with the intercostal strain as well. And, you know, you just kind of look at all, all of it, and it's like, eh, I don't know if he's actually as good as the surface-level numbers, even if he has similar surface-level numbers this season. Chris, you are up. Another bust. Uh, we'll we'll mention a pitcher, uh, I guess, for the first time, right? Yeah, is the first so. pitcher mentioned in the bus. Um, uh, I think so. Yeah, I know Scott has one sneak. Other than other than Aroldis Chapman, well, and Jack, Jack Flaherty, who I guess would you know would have been in the discussion for me even without the injury. Uh, Logan Webb, twenty mm. five year old starting pitcher, had a really nice twenty twenty one season. Really, it was a really nice three months, and I feel like. He's getting a lot of credit for those three months in ways that I understand because the skill set is, you know, looked really solid. He got a lot of strikeouts. He had great control, great ground ball rate. The thing that I think is being left out of the discussion about Logan Webb is his career didn't start 
in 2021 and his career didn't start in July of 2021. You know, he's made more than 14 starts in his major league career and he was bad before this most recent run. He was not as bad to start last season. His ERA was around four two two partial seasons before that. It was like a five ERA. Um, so I just, I feel like he's getting an awful lot of credit for a relatively small sample size where he pitched not just better than we'd seen him in the majors, but better than we'd ever seen him in the minors as well. He wasn't this type of pitcher either. And so I just, I'm getting a lot of Zach Plezak 2021 or 2020 vibes from the reaction to this stretch. In addition to the fact that, look, he missed time with a shoulder injury last season. And that is a really, really troubling red flag for me. So it's just, it's a lot betting on the best case scenario for Logan Webb when there's a lot of ways that things can go wrong. It's, you know, Chris, it's the shoulder that worries me more than anything else about Logan Webb because you make the comp to Zach Plesak. Plesak faced very favorable competition uh, back in 2020. Last year, Logan Webb was doing it, you know, in the NL West against the Dodgers, the Padres. He obviously was amazing in the postseason, two starts against mm-hmm. the Dodgers, and he completely changed his pitch mix last year. So that's why I don't really want to compare it too much to what his performance was before last year because he made tangible changes, you know, lowering plus the four seam fastball using the change up and slider more. So. Yes, but that's, he's, he's the best ground ball pitcher this side of Framber Valdez, which makes his floor only so low. Sure. But the, the pitch mix thing was also what we were doing. Zach please Zach for, to be fair, I'm not saying he is Zach please Zach, but that was absolutely part of the Zach please Zach is going to be good in 2021 argument. Fair. And it's not just Zach Plesak. There are any number of pitchers who have had really good partial season stretches that are that get overweighted for them in fantasy. I think Luis Castillo has been that guy in the past. Uh, that, gosh, I think it's going back to 2018 when he was amazing down the stretch. Jack Flaherty, another guy who had that amazing second half, and we all were just like, "That's it. That's who Jack Flaherty is now." And he hasn't been that guy. It just, it's a lot riding on a small sample size and just kind of, it kind of requires ignoring basically everything else. All right, Scott, I know you have a pitcher that you want to talk about as well as a bust here. Who you got? Yeah. The case for Zach Gallen is pretty easy. I, I think he's, I think he's the pitcher who I'm most concerned about going under the knife this year for Tommy John because he sprained his elbow in May and though he was able to return and close out the season, clearly did not have the same effectiveness. And that's normally what you see from pitchers as they're approaching, as they're approaching Tommy John surgery is just they don't seem right, and you're not sure why. Even in his final eight starts, Zach Gallen seemed to recover with a 319 ERA, but his swinging strike rate during that stretch was 8.6, which is bottom of Went the Went very fastball heavy last season relative to what we'd seen right, from him before. Right, and if your elbow's not feeling well, you're going to do that. So that makes sense too. And then we find out, like, I already had him as a bust because of that. I already pretty much wasn't going to touch him. And we've, then he shows up to spring training dealing with shoulder bursitis. So he got the shoulder and the elbow. And, uh, you know, the, the more he's the more he's protecting one, the more the other is likely to hurt. So, yeah, I, I, I think this could spiral out of control in an especially destructive way. Scott, you mentioned the word radioactive earlier in the podcast. I moved Zach Gallen down to my SP70 
on Tuesday. So him and Lance McCullers are back-to-back, and I will not be drafting either one of them. I am scared to death of both. Uh, All right, we're going to wrap there. Just kidding. Chris, I will give you an opportunity to talk about your last bust here because obviously I don't agree with it, but I will let you make the case. Yeah, here comes the money. Uh, Shane McClanahan. I'm not playing um, it. Shane O'Mac. <laughs> Look, I get, I, I absolutely get the Shane McClanahan thing. You can't watch him pitch and not get it. He looked like the, the stuff is electric. He looks incredible. He looked incredible when he made his major league. I think the, f- the first pitcher ever to make his major league debut in the playoffs um, looked electric in the 2020 playoffs, looked quite good for long stretches of the 2021 season. 343 ERA, tons of strikeouts, but there are some real red flags. One is just, I can't shake this question of why didn't the Rays seem to view him as a starter before last season? Why were there so many questions about him when the stuff was, when he had a four pitch arsenal that looked as good as it did last season? That, that makes me wonder if, you know, the four pitch arsenal, you know, might have taken some guys by surprise, his changeup. You know, had some issues with uh, quality of contact. And that's really ultimately what it is. It's just he got hit about as hard as any pitcher in baseball last season. 424 expected Wobon contact. League average is 369, 45.7% hard hit rate, 91.7 mile per hour average exit velocity, 10.7% barrel rate. I mean, these are all bottom 10% kind of numbers among all pitchers. Now, Yes, he got a lot of strikeouts, and the control was actually pretty good. He was above average in both of those, although it's worth noting, 27% strikeout rate is very good. It's not Robbie Ray. And that's ultimately the the path that Shane McClanahan has to follow to have this breakout season. He has to, you know, Robbie Ray is the template, that you know guy who can get hit hard, but he's so good at everything else, last season especially, that it doesn't really matter. However the rest of Robbie Ray's career would be what I would point to is that when he's not quite as perfect, things can go downhill really quickly when you get hit that hard. And so on those days when you don't have your control and you walk a couple of guys, all of a sudden, you know, you're not talking about solo home runs. You're talking about three run home runs. And so that's the concern with me is that he just had like real, like almost league worst quality of contact metrics allowed last season. And I just, that's too much of a red flag for me to ignore, um, you know, when the price is, you know, almost a number two starting pitcher at times. Are you done, Chris? Are you done? Yep. All right. Just had to make sure that you were done ripping my guy, Shane McClanahan. Uh, He does allow a lot of hard contact, so I will agree with you there. Uh, I just think that the Rays are going to figure it out, man. The pitch mix, as nasty as his stuff is, it just seems like sequencing, they'll figure something out. The strikeouts, the walk rate was fine last year. He gets an okay amount of ground balls. I'm in. I I know the price is high, but man, I I do like Shane McClanahan quite a bit myself. Uh, We'll come up with some kind of gentleman's bet, Chris. I don't know. Mm, like SP 25 or better, you know, I, you know, I win McClanahan versus Trevor Rogers. You know what? I'm the downer on Trevor Rogers. I think I have Rogers actually ranked ahead of McClanahan. I don't know how that happened, but I like Rogers too. It's tough. I'll figure Um, something out. We'll figure something out. We'll figure something out. (laughs) And if you lose, you have to, I don't know, shave your face. 
How about that? Oh, nah, nah, yeah, that. We'll think of something better than that. Well, let's, well, let's Scott decide what we do. Shave your head. Oh, Chris <laughs> has to shave his face. Frank has, Frank to, has shave to shave his, his head. head. Uh, that's that's a little that's a uh, little you know uh, I would more different. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna wrap there. We'll figure it out though. We'll figure it out. We'll we'll come up with something, uh, some kind of Shane McClanahan bet this season. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye bye. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework.